Well, hello. Good morning. Good morning, everybody. So, hopefully that played smooth. I'll double check on playback. It runs great here. You just never know when you embed it into a streaming program that then crashes right when you hit stream and loses connection to restream. And then you reboot your computer because, you know, you can't adjust it because for some odd reason it won't adjust and it requires you to reboot. And then you have updates. <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah this is looking a little little off and a little off kilter on my end so hopefully it looks okay on yours if not um we might just have a couple little bugs to extra bugs to work out and we'll get on it next one but as long as things are displaying it might be a little glitchy but i think we'll be okay for for one study so good morning good to see you guys on there uh, if you are watching on the YouTube account, please be sure to hit that subscribe button. And if you're on the Facebook stream, would also encourage you at some point uh, today, hit over onto that YouTube channel and hit subscribe. So if you're out and about or something, it can pop up and, and you can watch it directly from YouTube. Anyway, mm. hope you guys are having a good morning. It's been good so far over here, other than, again, some technical difficulties, but... What happens? You know, it's it's a Saturday and it's a Bible study. So these things are, are going to happen, right? So it's the joys of live streaming and live streaming on a budget. Got to love it. So let's, let's dig into this. It's going to be a great lesson again today. Uh, this is our second study into the book of James. Good morning. Uh, second study in the book of James, the how-to book for the Christian faith, which is great. Uh, we're doing Wisdom from Above today, which is chapter 1, verses 5 to 18. So let's let's dig right on into this here. Maybe. Here we go. Yeah. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Well, yeah, this has got a little lag. Sorry, guys. Uh, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my brothers, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own he will, excuse me, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. All right. And this is 
broken down in a few ways. It is really laggy this morning, guys. Sorry about that. Well, talk about technical difficulty. I'll just hit hit the thing a bit early. So it breaks down in three different spots. First, we have wisdom and faith, rich and poor, and loving God through trials. So let's look at wisdom and faith here, which is verses five to eight. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. So a couple of things to look at here. One, we want to make sure we take everything in context. If you're, uh, if you know me or if you've done any other studies with me, you know context is a very big deal, uh, especially for me. I, I really want to make sure that we all look at things as how it's written and not just try to take a little section chunk and take that out of context because context really, really matters. So let's take a look at this. Uh, right before it, we're at verse four, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Okay, so if we read this in context, he's, in fact, let me grab Bible here. Slightly different translation. We'll do New King James just for kicks and giggles. Ah, da, 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 da. Greetings, my brethren. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Okay, so this is discussing trials. Verse 3, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect, or they say patience, others say endurance, some say steadfastness, ESV is steadfastness, so we'll just add that in there. Knowing the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, but let steadfastness have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Okay, so he's discussing trials, going through struggles in different trials, right? And so he's saying, let these trials work through you to produce the steadfastness or this endurance, right? So that you don't lack anything. And then he turns around and says, and if you lack wisdom, it's almost a but, but without the but, right? And he's saying this because, again, we're only 10 to 15 years into Christianity at all. Jesus ascended 10 to 15 years before this, right? So, uh, you know, it's brand new, brand spanking new. Most of these are Jewish converts. And so you have to change a little bit because Christianity is different than Judaism, Jesus changed a lot of it. And so to give up some of their old to move into what God has for them now is a little bit of a change, right? And so he's saying, if you're lacking, you know, use these trials to perfect you. But if you're lacking in something specific, and that specific piece is wisdom, okay? In the Old Testament or the Jewish idea of wisdom, which is really the, the right idea of wisdom, to be honest, but the Old Testament idea of wisdom is a God-given discernment for his, meaning God's, way through practical life issues, okay? It's not just wisdom like, God, give me wisdom to pick the right, I don't know, lottery ticket. No, it's give me wisdom to make it through this situation and this hardship to get through this the way that you would have me get through this. Okay, it's not about getting it through it the way I want to get through it, but getting through it the way God wants you to get through it, but to walk through it with him, okay? Asking God for his way through it. Wisdom is for God's eyes, okay? So let's take a look here at 1 Kings. Um, you're welcome. 
Robin, you're welcome. So take a look at First Kings here really fast, okay? First Kings chapter three. Get an idea of what this wisdom concept looks like, okay? First Kings chapter three. And Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said, you have shown a great steadfastness. Love to your servant, David, my father. We're going to skip ahead because we got a lot we're going through today. So verse seven, and now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of David, my father, although I am but a little child and do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern is your, excuse me, for who is able to govern this, your great people. So he asks for what? Discernment. He asks for a great mind, an understanding mind, to be able to discern between good and evil. Well, all good comes from God, right? Which we're actually going to discuss here in a little bit. Okay? So good comes from God. So if we're discerning between good, God's way, and evil, the world's way, right? He's asking for that discernment, which was the Old Testament idea of wisdom. That was their understanding. So Solomon asks for wisdom. Look at Proverbs 29, the rod and reproof give wisdom, okay? That's a a punishment, you know, saying that you're punishing. But what we're doing is going through hard things brings wisdom through it to see how God wants to get through it, okay? So going through trials brings out wisdom because it brings out endurance because you have to go through it and you learn how God wants you to do things. One, through a natural way, because God just naturally brings that about. And two, um, God actually will just be. If you talk to God, if you ask him for wisdom, he's going to give it to you. But be aware that it might not be the answer that you want, right? It might not be wisdom in the direction that you would like it to be. And he might not give it to you in a way that you would like him to give it to you but he'll give it to you. This is one of those things that I really think if you ask God for wisdom, he's going to give it to you. Okay, let's look at verse six here. Okay, verse six. But let him ask in faith with no doubting for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. This one's really sticky and tricky. Okay, this verse is taken out of context time and time again, and it is used for name it and claim it, and it is used for prosperity gospel all the time. And this is one of the reasons why I emphasize so much the need for context. This verse is tied directly to asking God for wisdom. Okay, it is tied directly to asking God for wisdom wisdom. And I truly believe, again, if you ask God for wisdom, he's going to give it to you. If you ask God for a million dollars, which we'll find out here in a minute, um, money isn't good for everyone. For some people, it's a curse. Okay. And if you ask God for the wrong thing that's outside of his will, the answer might be no. And just because you don't like the answer doesn't mean that he's not giving you an answer. Okay. But 
what I'm saying here is this piece, because I hear it all the time. Oh, I just, I just don't have enough faith. I don't have enough faith apparently because God's not giving this to me. Just because you're not getting what you want doesn't mean you A, don't have enough faith. And it doesn't mean B, that God's not answering you. Okay. God gives according to his will because he sees the big picture. God is not just looking at right now. He's looking at down the line as well. And what is going to turn you into the person that he's creating you to be. Okay. And sometimes it's hard to get there. For most of us, it's hard to get there. Okay. So this verse asking for wisdom. Now, faith, let's take a look at Hebrews 11. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. So we need to ask God for faith in confidence, knowing that God is going to give us faith, right? He's going to, or she's not give us faith. He will, but he'll give us wisdom, his wisdom through how to do this. Okay. And this doubting is a vacillating between trusting God and trusting the world or yourself, okay? And that's why he's saying it's like the wave of the sea, which is through scripture actually quite a bit in Isaiah and Ephesians. We'll look at those in a minute. But we can take that and actually recognize this is a vacillation and not necessarily a momentary lapse of, oh, God, are, are you there? Can you hear me? You know, that that hard drop, because we all have that every now and then. Like, God, I've been I've been asking are you there? Like, is, 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 is this thing on? Hello? You know, that, that kind of thing is normal. Okay. It, this is discussing a vacillation between I trust myself and I trust the world and I trust my money to I trust God. That kind of vacillation is what's being discussed and is a problem. And we see here in Isaiah 57, but the wicked are like the tossing sea for it cannot be quiet and its waters toss up mirror and dirt. And Ephesians uh, chapter 4, 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine and so on. This concept is moving back and forth, okay? Trusting God, trusting ourselves, trusting God, trusting the world. This bouncing is the problem, okay? We need to consistently stay with God and trust God for these things. Okay. Which brings us to seven and eight for that person, the person who bounces back and forth, right? Bum, 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 bum. This person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord as he is double minded. He is a double minded man, unstable in all his ways. Okay. So God wants to bless those who trust him, but trust him fully. Okay. We need to trust God all the time. And this actually, what he's talking about here, goes into this next section as well, okay? It feels like totally different sections, but they're really linked together. God wants to bless those who trust him fully. Now, this double-minded, double-minded man is kind of interesting. This is, uh, it's a Greek, dipsukos. I know I suck at Greek. It's fine. Just enjoy the horrible Greek from Drew. It's great. It, it literally translates as two, two souls or two spirits. Okay, meaning torn between two devotions, devotion to God and the world, devotion to God and money, devotion to God and yourself. Like I can do this. That's a very American one right there. Both the uh, money and self for Americans. Oh, huge. I can do anything. Anything you can do, I can do better, right? 
Like it's just one of those things. It is. It's not solely an American concept, but man, we take it to the extreme, right? So that concept of it's on me, I can handle this, and then it's God, and we all struggle with this to some degree, right? I struggle with this especially, but I try very hard to focus in and zero in and rely on God to get through all of this stuff. And am I perfect at it? No, by no no means. I'm getting better. I'd like to think I'm getting better. Maybe I'm not. I think I'm getting better. But, you know, it's a work in progress, like all of us are. Okay. Now, this next section, rich and poor, 9 to 11. One, James is giving a two-sided example here, and not in like a bad way, but more like a flipping of a coin. He's got two sides of the coin here. But this really does link to what we were just discussing, okay? Needing to have faith and needing to rely on God and not on yourself. This is how it links. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. Okay, lowly, most commentaries agree that this is lowly meaning poor. Um, it's an interesting word to use for that, but they're, they're believing that that is grabbing in for the poor concept. That they should boast or to give God glory, right? In God giving him or her a position to where they have to rely on God and strengthen their relationship. It seems really weird to boast about being in a bad position or what we see as a bad position. But what we need to do is we need to recognize and have a frame of mind shift to realizing that what's really happening is God is putting us in a position to where we have more communication with him because we naturally need him more. Since we naturally rely on him more and need him more, we go to him more. So our situation is such that we can actually have a better and stronger relationship with God because we have to. He's put us in a place where he's keeping us close to him. He wants us. Not to say that people with money he doesn't want, Okay, but remember, money can be a blessing or a curse depending on the person. It takes the right person to handle money. Okay, but God's keeping us in a position to where we rely on him and we talk to him. It's not a curse. It's a blessing because we are closer to God. We have a mission to reach out, but we stay closer to God. Okay, 10, really 10A. Uh, let's see here, 10 Lost. Oh, it's up on the top. That's funny. And the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. So, but the rich, like his humiliation, okay? Being rich makes it easy to rely on your money and yourself for pretty much everything and ignoring God. But when this situation happens, okay, when certain things happen and you have a hard time, your money can't get you out of it or made a bad investment and your money's gone and you have to really rely on God, these things happen, right? You're in a situation that you need that you go to God and you should boast that God is bringing you, you into a position where you need him, that you have that stronger relationship and that building for him, okay? Bringing you to him, okay? Otherwise, it's a, at the end of the time, it ends up being a humiliation because you relied on yourself instead of having that relationship with God, which is a bad thing, okay? And then 10B, because like a flower, of the grass, you'll pass away, also going into 11, for the sun rises, 
with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flowers fall and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Okay, now James is warning that time passes people by. It passes us all by, right? But if you are so focused on your financial situation and your money and getting more money and building up that power and focusing on yourself because I can handle this, I can get my own stuff, I've got my own money, I can do this, I don't need God, that time will completely pass you by. And you will end up at the end serving one master because you can't serve two. And the question is, is that master going to be yourself and money? Or is it going to be God? Okay, and we see in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Okay. Hard thing to hear for some of us. And I, I actually personally know probably two couples that can really handle money in a very godly way. They give it and and do things with it that it's not a it's not such a burden to where it it ruins and hinders their faith, right? God is blessing people throughout with that. And there are people that he has like that because I mean, you know, yes, he could just make money happen, but why? When he's using us to bless people and he's using us to do things for people, and I'm not one of those people that handles money that great. I'm okay at it in a worldly stance. <laughs> Apparently, God says I'm it, it might hinder me, so which I would agree, it probably would. But, you know, it, there are people that that doesn't create that stumbling block. And so since it's not creating that stumbling block, he uses them to bless others and to work through, right? Okay. Uh, loving God through trials. This is really half of the entire thing that we're studying today. And yet it's it's one section. It's a big section. It's going to take us a few minutes to get through this, but it's a really good section here. So blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive a crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Okay. So he's taking things back to trials, which I don't think it's ever actually left the trials. It just feels like it's kind of left the trials mindset because we've talked about money. We've talked about a few other things. Really, these are practical concepts of trials, things that we actually go through and we see on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, but he's focusing in and narrowing back down to the concept of trials and maintaining through these. Now, this this crown of life, I know we've if you uh, have been a Christian for very long, you, you probably have heard about the crown of life. It's it's a very common concept. It's also very easy to have the concept of this crown as being a jewel-encrusted, you know, I get to be a ruler kind of crown. That's not the kind of crown that's being discussed, though. In fact, the, the crown that we're discussing that we're looking at is a winner's laurel wreath from, like, athletic events, ancient athletic events and, and um, from the Olympics, the ancient Olympics, they had wreaths that they would actually put on your head to show that you were a winner, okay? And so that is the type of crown saying that you've won the race, right? Okay, so Paul would discuss that. Remember, this is likely before any of Paul's writings. So this crown is coming out before some of this Paul talking about winning the race and these things, but it's the same concept, right? This is the same concept that you get the crown of life, which God has promised. 
Let's look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, crown, right? But we, an imperishable, okay, an imperishable, this crown, right? 13, which is a big, as you see there, lots of notes on 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. This is, again, another big one because I I hear this a lot. I'm sure you've heard this a lot. And it's easy to have that concept of uh, twisting the concept of I'm going through a trial. God's testing me to God must be tempting me to do something else. Or what we hear a lot more these days is I'm going through this rough situation, but God made me this way, so therefore it's fine. And I don't care what it is in what situation that, you know, makes you go, oh, well, he's talking to me or he's talking about a certain thing. I'm not talking about any one specific type of thing, how you are made or type of sin that you struggle with. Because quite frankly, we all were born with certain propensities to certain sins. We all sin in different ways. That doesn't make my sin less of a sin than yours. It doesn't make your sin less of a sin than mine. We all have them, Okay. If you feel convicted, it's because God might be convicting you. Crazy concept. It's okay. But just recognize that God gave us the law so that we would recognize that we sin so that we go towards him and try to get out of that. Okay? It's not how we're meant to be. Whatever it is. Okay? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. But tempted. Why is this a big deal here? And why is it such a concept that James is talking about? Well, for one, obviously people were saying God is tempting me. No, God's not tempting you. But this concept was even more pronounced in the Greek. And is more pronounced in the Greek because the verb tempted, to be tempted, is, and again, Drew's terrible at not speaking in third person for a reason. I'm just being stupid. Anyway, I'm terrible at Greek, so just enjoy the the horrible Greek here. Pierazo, I guess. I will shoot that out there. Whatever. Greek people have fun with that. It's it's enjoying. Um, Is the verb of the noun purosmos, which is trial. Okay. So it makes more sense in Greek because trial turned into a verb is tempted. It's the same word said slightly different because it takes it from noun to verb. If you take your noun and put it, make it into an action, a trial turns into temptation, okay, being tempted. But it's not what God does. God tries you, tests you to build your character, to bring you closer to him, not to tempt you into sin. God tests. There's some examples there on the screen. Genesis 22, Exodus 16, 4, 2 Chronicles 32, 31, and so on and so on. But he does it to build your character. Temptation is to lure into sin. God cannot be tempted because sin is outside of his character. Plus, he would never tempt because it's outside of his nature and character. And, And to me, and in this case, it seems more important, that it goes against his entire purpose and plan, okay? He's molding his people into his holy image, right? He's he's bringing us into his image, the sanctification. He's bringing us to him and molding us into the image he has for us. 
And if sin is against what he has for us, him tempting us into sin would be completely backwards to what he's wanting to do. So it logically just doesn't even make sense. Not only is it against who he is and how he is, but it takes us in the opposite direction of where he's trying to get us. So God will not tempt you into sin. Okay, look at 1 Corinthians 10. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. How many times have you been about to do something, quite frankly, stupid that you know you shouldn't be doing and all of a sudden you get a phone call, a knock on the door? a text message, and it physically stops you from doing it. It's happened to me several times. And it's really weird sometimes, you know, where you're just like, it's out of the blue, like, I don't know, I just felt like I really needed to call you. Or God had you on my heart and I really just needed to talk to you. Um, cool. All right. Thank you. Right? Like, I shouldn't have done that. So perfect. Thank you. And it just happens. God will give you an escape, right? All right, moving on, 14. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires, okay? Lured and enticed. These are hunting and fishing metaphors. And he's, it's, yeah, I, I read this and I hear this and in my head, I, I get that uh, cloudy with a chance of meatballs. I don't understand fishing metaphors, right? Okay, so hunting, is, and, hunting and fishing is lured and enticed, right? Okay. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by what? By his own desires. Okay? You're tempted and enticed. You're lured by your own desires. Okay? Sin looks beautiful and is enticing because it's beautiful. Being born into this fallen world, the desire to have such beauty lives in us. And Satan, the enemy, uses this plain and simple. It's knowledge, right? He knows. And he uses that to lure us in. Okay. He lures us in because that is already inside of us to want that because it looks nice. That'll look great. That's beautiful. I want that. Oh yeah. Okay. Well, first Peter, which we studied a couple of months ago or a few months ago says in first Peter five, be sober minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being, what? Experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. You're not experiencing anything that's not normal. It's okay. But resist and follow God through this, okay? Yes, it's naturally in you, but that doesn't make it right. Okay? 15. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Okay? Now, he turns from this fishing and hunting metaphor to a metaphor of the natural progression of life. Okay? Pregnancy to birth, birth to growth, growth to death. Okay? This desire which is not yet acted upon, okay? Is a desire a sin? I suppose it depends on what we're discussing. But for general purposes, typically no, 
okay? Yes, Jesus took things to the degree of if you hate a man in your heart, then you've already murdered him. If you lustfully look at a woman or you lustfully look at anybody at that point, um, then you've already, um, you're an adulterer already. I mean, Jesus was making an example and making a point, right? And it, it's a very solid point. But the question is, is that the sin? Well, the lust in your eyes, yeah, that would be a sin, sure. But is the desire, and again, it just depends on what we're discussing. But if the desire is not yet, you know, desire itself potentially is not yet even a sin. But then once it is a sin, and then it's conceived, and then it grows internally, and it gives birth to full-on sin, and it then continues to grow and becomes more normal, and this becomes... It's natural. It's okay. I, it's, I, and I haven't been struck by lightning yet, so we'll just continue on. And then when it matures, it brings forth death. Let's look at Proverbs 10. The fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be short. Romans 8. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will Live Now, the question is, is this referring to a physical death or a spiritual death? It could be both. It just depends on the sin, right? But um, I think it's more likely referring to just interesting. One of the commentaries that I'm reading, it talks about this is a, clearly a physical death. The other one says it's, it's more uh, metaphysical. It's more spiritual death. It could be either one. Okay. It could be either one. And that's okay. Now, 16 to 18. Uh, this is one of the few times throughout this letter that James speaks in a theologically, right? He's not speaking in a practical manner. He's speaking in a theological manner, okay? And he's also shifting the focus from trials and temptation into acknowledging that the good comes from God, okay? He's, he's shifting the focus from when you're having this hard time, you got to focus on God. You got to focus on God. God's not tempting you, Right? That's on you and, and on Satan, on the enemy. God's not doing that. And he's now shifting that over to saying, all of the good stuff is coming from God. So let's take a look at this. Okay. Do not be deceived. And we're 16 to 18. So we'll just read the whole thing here. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Okay, so we got this broken up in a few spots here. Okay, good and perfect gifts. Every good and perfect gift. Okay, let's take a look at Matthew 7, 11. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him, okay? God knows what you need and what's going to help you and bring you through things. And so if you ask him, he's going to give you what you need, which again goes back to like the wisdom concept, right? We all need wisdom. We all need God's guidance to get through life in the direction God wants us to. It's quite presumptuous of us to think that we know exactly what God wants all the time, right? So, we ask God for that. He gets us through that. Okay. It's a beautiful thing. But also let's, let's uh, look at the context again. And God's using these trials to grow and perfect, and he's not using them to tempt, right? So if you continue to look at this as what he's been saying, he's saying the good things are coming from God. God uses bad things to grow you, but he's not tempting you into 
sin. Okay. Now, Father of Lights, this is definitely the theological spot. This is one of the main theological spots of the entire letter. Um, coming down from the Father of Lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Okay, so the Father of Lights clearly and obviously is God, right? It's a, it's a discussion of God, but it is a theological statement that he's probably pulling from a couple of Psalms. Okay, let's look at Psalm 74, 16. Yours is the day, yours is also the night. You have established the heavenly lights and the sun. Then we look at Psalms 136, 7 to 9. To him who made the great lights, for his steadfast love endures forever. The sun to rule over the day, for his steadfast love endures forever. And the moon and the stars to rule over the night, for his steadfast love endures forever. Okay? This, this imagery that he's giving us is showing that God is the creator of all and he's unwavering and unchanging. And I can say that because he says directly with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Okay, he's stable, he's secure. Okay, and he gives that visual of the shadows. Okay, when I, when I hear this and I read this, I'm, I'm, I see this visual of the shadows. When you see the, the sun and the moon go, you actually get, in fact, I can do it with my hand here going across the light, a shadow. If you look at my face, you can see that shadow go across. Okay? And that change. God is steady. He is always there. He is present. There is no extra shadow moving. You know what is light, good. What is dark, evil. Okay? Because... He's always there. That doesn't change. So whereas with society, and we're seeing this a lot right now, what was good in the light, if you look at my face there, what was good then becomes partially shadowed and is bad. And what was bad, it moves and it's now good. Whereas with God, we know things don't change. And so you can tell directly what is good and what is bad because God's character doesn't change. Okay. Now, also we see that this is his will. Okay. Right here. Uh, 18. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Okay. This is part of this is actually to the people directly at the time. Because remember, this is a letter. He's writing a letter to people in a specific place or places really at this point because this is to the to the 12 tribes of dispersion. So it's going out and around, okay? But it's still to real people at a real time, okay? Which begs the question, did he realize this was going to be read 2,000 years later? Who knows if God put that on him? I don't know. But his will, okay, points to the fact that God doesn't need us. He wants us. And there's a difference between being needed and being wanted. Okay. God wants us. So he did all of this out of his will to have us because he wants us. Now these first fruits, excuse me, actually word of truth. I almost skipped that word of truth is, uh, it's either Jesus or the gospel, but really it's the same thing, right? Jesus is the word, the word in the beginning was Jesus. Um, and Jason and Jesus was also the way, the truth and the life. So the word from the beginning, Jesus was the word of truth. Okay. With the gospel message is all about Jesus. So 
interchangeable, I suppose, at that point. Okay. He brought of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits to his creatures or of his creatures. First fruits uh, is again a, a theological reference, but it's a referencing to the actual first fruits of the Old Testament. You would give the first and the biggest and the best, right? You're not, not holding back and giving God what's left over, but giving God the first, okay? And so he's saying we are like a first fruit. I'm not saying we right now, but those people originally, because again, they're like 10 years into this. They are the first of the Christian faith, especially in their area which by the way, it would have been any area, but where they're at, it's a heavily Jewish oriented Greek area. And these are Greek or uh, Jewish converts becoming Christians. Okay. And he's saying that we would be like the first fruits. We like the first to come and to go. And this is a saying that there's going to be more. So we have to set the example right. Okay, because what was the first part of the first fruits? They were sacrificing and giving to God. They were setting an example. So he's saying we need to set the example and get this right for those who come after us. And we see that that was kind of a big thing. If we look throughout other portions of scripture, I pulled two of them. Romans 16, 5, greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved. Yeah, Greek names, you gotta love it. Epianus, we'll just go with that. It sounds great. All right, beautiful name. Who was the first convert in Christ in Asia? Let me see in 1 Corinthians 16, 15. Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first con converts in Achaia and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Okay, so they would bring out and point out the new believers, these new believers are coming in. So greet them, welcome them. Like you've got a little experience under your belt, right? You know a little bit more what's going on. Greet them and welcome them and love them because you're the first and you need to set that example and set that example with, quote, love, right? So it's it's a beautiful thing. So then take away, what can we take away from this study, right? So first of all, we should ask God for wisdom, not necessarily ask God for, you know, a, a, a million dollars, or I suppose now it would be a billion dollars, okay? Uh, just keep in mind, that car that broke down, maybe that broke down because you were trying to go somewhere that God didn't want you to go. So ask God for wisdom, God's way to go through practical life issues with unwavering faith. Don't sit on the fence between the world and God. You need to pick a side. Okay, and time goes by quickly, and we should focus on walking with God through all of life, even when we don't feel that we need to. Just because we don't feel we need to doesn't mean we don't need to, right? Third, God uses tests to build us up in his image and to build that character in a side of us, right? We should have, as Christians, we should have amazing character. Doesn't happen a lot, unfortunately, but we should have amazing character. Okay. He never, bold italicized, never tempts us to sin, but he provides an escape from overwhelming temptation. He does use trials to build, 
but he never tempts us to sin. Okay. And the father of light is unchanging and gives us perfect light to show the difference between good, the light, and evil, the dark. We know what is good and in God's eyes. And we know what is evil because God doesn't change. So if God said this was bad from the bad, it's bad. And it doesn't change from being bad. Okay. Do we have atonement for the sin? Yes. Does that make it right and continue to do it? No. <laughs> we should still run from sin and flee from it because that can still divide. It can still push us away. We can still choose something else. Okay. So focus on God. Focus on God. That's the, the main point from the Bible period, right? Focus on Jesus. Focus on God. All right. Let's, let's pray, everybody. God. Oh, God, thank you for your word. Thank you for today and for helping with these weird technical difficulties that we've had the last couple of weeks. God, I just ask that you touch the computer and fix it or find a way for a new computer, something. But God, just continue to be with us and bless us. And thank you for teaching us these things and showing us these things and showing us that you're going to give us wisdom if we ask but that we should ask always and that we should always be with you and our focus should be on you instead of on ourselves or on the world, that we should focus on you and look to you as to how to get through our situations and recognize that time is going to go by quickly, that we're not going to be here forever. And so the time to do it is now. God, thank you for building us up through these tests and trials. They're not fun. Most of them are not fun. They're not good to go through. We don't enjoy them, but they are good to go through because you use it to change us and to make us more in your image and to grow us closer to you. God, thank you for never actually tempting us into sin, but instead providing that escape to get out from that. God, we ask that you continue to do that and you do it in more ways, more times. Help us get away from what we're doing that we shouldn't be doing. God, thank you for being steady and not changing so that we know what we should be doing. We know right from wrong. We know good from evil, that you are truth and that truth is solid and it's not changing. Your truth is more important than my truth, God. So thank you for giving us that. God, I just ask that you continue to be with us and bless us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you guys so much. Thank you for, for dealing with these weird little glitches and everything. But hope you guys have enjoyed this. And I hope that everybody has a wonderful rest of the day and a great weekend. Bless you guys. And we'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye.